0: Mickey, Mickey, Mickey. Pishy, pishy. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out. Go listen to some boring podcast where with are afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich <laughs> Give me a, I want hey, Who delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. Like in, in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome back to the Voices of Wrestling flagship podcast. I am internationally acclaimed broadcast journalist, as heard on BBC Radio, the king of banter, Joe Lanza. Rich Cratch will be joining us a little bit later We've got a lot to talk about this week. we got the May Young Classic. With the second, third, and fourth rounds, we'll be approaching that for a little bit of a different perspective than we did last week. I'm not going to break down every match. We're going to do some lists. We're going to do the top five stock rising, the bottom five stock falling, the top five overall wrestlers of the tournament, and I'm going to tell you what the best matches of the tournament were. So we'll tackle that a little bit differently than we did last week. There's some New Japan notes to go over. The Destruction Tour is in full swing. The uh, first of two and Hall shows took place uh, about 24 hours ago from the time I'm recording this. and It was a a newsworthy show. There were some news and notes worth discussing on that and show, and we will do that. We'll also do a preview of the Destruction and Fukushima show. The first of three Destruction shows. Which is split into three this year. And uh, some changes were actually made on that show. Based on some things that we saw on the and Hall show. So we'll get into all that. We'll touch on PWG and the Battle of Los Angeles a little bit. But where we have to start this week, I think, is the ongoing saga of Global Force Wrestling slash Impact Wrestling slash TNA. On Wednesday, Justin Barrasso of Sports Illustrated broke the story that Jeff Jarrett will be taking a leave of absence indefinitely to focus on some, quote, personal issues, and that Jared is out as the Global Force Wrestling Chief Creative Officer. And in addition, it appears as though, at least according to Barrasso, that Global Force Wrestling slash Impact Wrestling slash TNA is once again for sale. And here we go again. I thought Dave Meltzer did an excellent job wrapping, wrapping up the uh, Barrasso report and then adding his own details uh, later on that day on Wednesday with a uh, free report up on the Wrestling Observer Figure Four online website. And uh, I haven't seen the Wrestling Observer newsletter yet this week, which uh, he did not release on the usual uh, Wednesday date. I guess there was just too much news going on. Uh, actually, the Observer, it appears as though it has come out, as I'm recording this. So I won't have time to read. The details that uh, Dave may have added in the Observer. Unfortunately. Actually I think I could probably skim it while I'm talking to you guys. And see what else has uh, been added onto the story. But in any case. I thought Dave did an excellent job wrapping it up. Uh, for free on the site. He's got a a very good free report, and I'm sure there's some added details in the Observer that that literally just hit as I was uh, recording this podcast. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, I I reached out to a couple of my sources this week and hit a bunch of dead ends. Dave Meltzer alluded to the fact that uh, he ran into a bunch of dead ends. If Anthem is indeed attempting to sell the company... um, you know, a lot of people who should be privy to that information are denying it, and 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 simply aren't aware that that's happening. Uh, but it's like Dave says, in, in these sorts of situations, it's it's not as if um, you know you know Anthem would be keeping certain people in the dark, and 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 people who do know would 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 be working reporters and and those types of people, because uh, you know you want to keep morale up with the with the employees and the wrestlers and that sorts of things. So who knows? Um, I do know this that. According to Brasso and Meltzer, you know they're losing tons of money. They just re-upped their television deal with Pop, um, which you know means almost nothing. I mean that's just to basically keep a television presence. You can't get much lower on the on the pecking order than Pop TV. I remember uh, hearing—I I don't know how long ago it was—and I'm not even sure if this is uh, from the Pop TV days or, or their or their previous stop on Destination America. Now that I think about it, so it may even be less at this point if these were Destination America figures, but um, I remember at the time hearing that they were getting about $350 per 30-second ad for uh, Impact Wrestling. And we had joked at the time that our 60-second ad reads on this show were not far behind that figure. Um, And and now they're like, you know, there are some ads we read where, you know, we've got 60-second ads on this show that are generating just about as much income as a 30 second ad for impact wrestling which is scary which is scary it's terrifying uh and it just goes to show that you know each episode of impact wrestling on pop and again those may have been destination america figures they might be getting less per per 30 second ad now because i can't remember whether that was the destination america days or the pop days that 350 dollars figure um but I mean, think about it. I mean, you know, so for a two-hour show, I mean, they're only making a couple thousand dollars on ads. I mean, the money is just, it's, it's, it's insignificant. It's insignificant. And, 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 you know, they attempted to do some house shows a couple weeks ago, and those were absolute busts. So, you know, this is a company that's just not making any money. They're just bleeding money. And Anthem, um, you know, reportedly wants out, and you can't really blame him, especially uh, with all of this, you know, Jarrett strife tied in. Jarrett was a mess at the Triple Mania show in Mexico, and and uh, Ed Nordholm was there, according to Meltzer. And that's when uh, Nordholm made the decision to to remove Jarrett. There's a lot of confusion here. There's a lot of gray, uh, you know, this whole Jarrett going away to take care of personal issues. Uh, you know, there's some people who feel he's just out. But he is legitimately taking care of personal issues. Um, look, it's no secret that Jeff Jarrett has had problems with alcohol. You know, if anyone who's read Rebby Hardy's Twitter feed knows that this man has has had problems with alcohol, um, you know, it's on record. Man has, you know, it's, you know, there's arrest records and everything else. Um, he had a device on his, installed on his vehicle, uh, which he got in trouble for, you know, one of those devices where you have to pass a breathalyzer in order to turn the car on. When I was about 17 or 18 years old, I, uh, I just thought of this story now. Um, some dude, you know, I was I was just out running the streets like a like a thug, and uh, with my friends, and some dude offered us, um, you know, a couple hundred bucks to blow into that gimmick. Uh, you know, which allowed you to start start the car. It was actually, it was his uh he it was his his girlfriend's car, and I and and the dude was offering us money so his girlfriend could drive home. I guess, or drive wherever she was going, and um, you know, uh, I took the money. I blew into it. I really hope that woman didn't crash the car and kill somebody. I'm not proud of it, but uh, you know, those are the kind of things you do when you're 17 years old. Terrible decision, but uh, but anyway, Jeff Jarrett had had one of these. Um, you know, devices installed on his vehicle and got in trouble for bypassing it or whatnot. So he's had problems with the drink. Uh, you know, it, nobody's saying what these personal issues are. And, you know, that's my personal speculation is, you know, and considering the shape he appeared to be in at Triple Mania, there's some substance abuse issues here is my personal speculation, just based on, recent history with uh, Jeff Jarrett in the bottle and some dark Twitter stuff involving some other substances, which I'm not going to talk about because it's not been publicly discussed anywhere that I'm aware of, like the alcohol has been. Uh, But, you know, uh, there's some other substances at play, you know, allegedly when it comes to Jarrett as well. So, hopefully, Jeff Jarrett... Whether he's in rehab, I you know who knows. But hopefully he's getting all of these issues taken care of for the good of his health. I don't think anybody wants to see Jeff Jarrett, you know, continue to spiral downward if if he is indeed having issues with, with uh you know substance abuse of any kind. So that's number one. And Jeff Jarrett, for what it's worth, has been very good to this website, in particular Shake Them Ropes. The Shake Them Ropes uh podcast, so um, you know, I it, but, you know, I, our interactions have been good. So, hopefully, he fixes whatever problems he has going on in his life. And uh, the thing about it is, when he returns from whatever it is he's uh, going away for, Anthem may have sold Impact Wrestling slash TNA. I do not include Global Force Wrestling this time. Because an interesting wrinkle to this whole debacle is that the paperwork has yet to clear and this was a, a, a detail Meltzer had that, that Barrasso did not the paperwork has yet to clear on the Global Force Impact Wrestling merger now these things take time anything involving lawyers takes take some time But because of this little wrinkle, Jarrett could come back to a world where Anthem has sold Impact to who knows, you know, God knows who. It may not no longer exist as a as an entity. If someone's just interested in the tape library and or whatever the case. WWE uh, in the past and actually there was another SI story by Barrasso where he interviewed Ed Nordholm uh, in July, actually, where this was discussed, WWE in the past hasn't been interested in the wrestling product at all, just the tape library. They would shut it down. They're not going to run it as a, you know, they're not going to run, you know, Impact Wrestling as a promotion. That's been confirmed in, you know, other reports as well. But Jared could return to a world where Impact Wrestling doesn't exist, but he still owns Global Force because the paperwork never went through. And the merger was never completed. And that's just it's just amazing. Global Force Wrestling will not die. It just won't die. It's incredible. But there's a couple... Um, Sidebars to this story that need to be discussed. I mean, uh, Anthem was talking about rolling out an over-the-top service or, or an app or you know something along those lines, which would include um, Impact Wrestling footage, AAA, The Crash, and Noah. So that sort of complicates things. I, I don't think you know. I'll also say this: one of the sources I did get to talk is, is someone who 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 is disputing the idea that Anthem is looking to sell. And part of the reason is because they're committed to attempting this over-the-top service. And it would make sense because you have to think of it from this perspective. If they sell all of the assets of the company, including the tape library, they cannot roll out an over-the-top service because they will no longer own any footage. And as I'm skimming the observer here that just dropped, another factor is the Fight Network. Uh, you know, obviously the TNA tape library would be something that would be advantageous for them to own for Fight Network purposes, which is another good point that I hadn't even thought of. So, who would the potential buyers be? Obviously, WWE for the tape library. Uh, Billy Corgan. Supposedly, Ring of Honor was in the mix last time. I don't see why they would want to acquire. I mean, I I guess like everybody else, just for the footage. Ring of Honor doesn't even know how to utilize their own footage. Ring of Honor is sitting on a gold mine, and they 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 don't know how to utilize it. What are they going to do with Impact's footage? I mean, they're just a disaster, uh, Sinclair. You know, it, it, that's a, a, a revenue stream. That they're just wasted, being pissed away. Their library. So I don't, I don't really get that one, unless Sinclair is looking for more programming for their networks and would keep the wrestling side alive, which is entirely possible. But uh, you know, the WWE um, side is obviously um, the most interesting. Uh, but, but here's the thing, Barasso, I love this Justin Barrasso. This guy, he is fascinated with this broken universe angle to these stories. I mean, this guy, if you go back and read his interview with Ed Nordholm, who uh, I've referenced him a few times. He's the executive vice president of Anthem and the president of uh, Global Force slash Impact. Um, Barrasso interviewed Nordholm a couple of months ago. Uh, you know, on the Sports Illustrator website, and I just could not stop laughing. The very first question Barrasso asked him was um, – this was right around the time of the Alberto Del Rio suspension with the airport incident with Page. I'm going to read you the question that Barrasso asked him and Bar- and Nordholm's answer. It is, just, it, it is just very humorous to me. Here's Barrasso. Quote. Given the recent negative publicity toward global force wrestling impact, most notably an indefinite suspension of your world champion, would Anthem be best served by coming to terms with the Hardys over the broken universe intellectual property? End quote. Nordholm's answer, which is probably what every one of you are thinking right now. Quote, No, I don't see how they're related at all. End quote. I mean, what kind of question is that? Given the negative publicity of the suspension of your world champ, would Anthem be best served coming to terms with the Hardys over the broken universe uh, IP? What the hell does that have to do with Alberto Del Rio? It's it's incredible. And then uh, Barrasso goes on to ask um, Nordholm basically the same question phrased about seven different ways regarding – you know, this this broken universe stuff and whether they're going to sell. And Nordholm answers seven different ways that no, we are not going to sell and we're not interested in selling. I mean, it's just, it's just an amazing interview, which is well worth your time digging up to read. It's just incredible. About five questions down, Barrasso, and I quote, will you ever sell the intellectual property? Now, keep in mind, he's asked this question about five different ways already. Also, would you want a bigger sum of money if the creation is used on WWE television, end quote. Nordholm, quote, I've stopped thinking about this. (laughs) We have a show to put on and a company and a brand. We've got things on our plate that are more important than sorting out the broken brilliance. I made a genuine effort to resolve something to benefit the Hardys as a goodwill gesture to Matt. It didn't reach a conclusion and we're moving on. We're not going back to it. I'm not interested in opening a new dialogue. I'm not interested in opening another conversation about it. We made our best effort. It didn't happen. And I'm not going to negotiate all over again. End quote. It's just, it's, it's, and then, and then, Barrasso continues to ask the same question 14 different ways to conclude the interview. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing interview. Barrasso is just obsessed with the broken universe because flash forward to his Jeff Jarrett slash uh, Anthem selling TNA story and when he's talking about the assets that would be for sale he talks about footage of AJ Styles Samoa Joe Bobby Roode Kurt Angle for some reason he says uh, he brings up Jay Lethal I I have no idea and the uh, black machismo stuff But then he goes on to say, quote, If WWE decides to purchase Global Force Wrestling Impact, the Hardys stand to benefit the most. WWE would then own the Broken Universe intellectual property and, bro- quote, Broken Matt and Brother Nero would mesmerize WWE audiences with their broken brilliance. End quote. Are the Hardys paying this Barrasso guy? It's, it's amazing. He more PR for these guys. I mean, he basically harassed Ed Nordholm about Broken Universe for, you know, 20 questions. Broken Matt and Brother Nero would mesmerize WWE audiences with their Broken brilliance. Really? They're gonna mesmerize them? I don't know. Barrasso, he's just obsessed with the uh, Broken Hardy gimmick. It, it, it's crazy. Um... But anyway, so, yeah, uh, that is, uh, you know, a sidebar to the story, though. I I suppose that if WWE did purchase, uh, you know, all the intellectual property would come with that. And, uh, yeah, they would own the uh, broken universe at that point, which I'm sure that they would immediately. I mean, you know, they're doing nothing with the Hardys. I mean, the Hardys worked the pre-show opener at SummerSlam. Okay, so, I mean, you know, the Hardys aren't exactly a big deal right now. And I do think that the uh, broken universe stuff would get over much bigger in WWE than it did in TNA. It did nothing for TNA, and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to kick that dead horse. I mean, I am. So, I, we've been so right about that on this show, and people could argue with us all they want on Twitter, but they're wrong. It did nothing for TNA. It popped two numbers, and and then they plummeted to their lowest viewership totals in the history of Impact while the Hardys were there. The Hardys did provided nothing for TNA, nothing. Um, But but I do think that that gimmick would get over huge in WWE. And so does uh, Justin Barrasso. Trust me. Never stops talking about it. Um, Okay, so, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, one one figure I was given uh, by one source was before Anthem bought in, um, Dixie Carter, under the Carter regime, uh, at the end, they were losing a million dollars a month. Seems like a huge figure to me. Uh, but that was the number I was given by a pretty good source. So if if that's still even close to accurate, even though they did a ton of cost-cutting. Uh, you know, no more Cody R, no more Hardys, uh, Drew McIntyre. Um, you know, go right down the line. You know, they did bring in Alberto Del Rio. Um, but they filled out the rest of the roster with... You know, the whole Pat Buck crew from New Jersey, Mario Bacora and, uh, you know, um, Falaba, Kevin Matthews, um, you know, a lot of the indie guys that, that, that Jared had used with global Force. So there was a lot of cost cutting from that perspective and, um, you know, in other ways. So I, I don't know that they're still losing that much money, but, you know, uh, everyone seems to agree that they are, you know, losing money, which is why Anthem is supposedly uh, putting the company for sale. They have no more house shows scheduled and no tapings beyond Bound for Glory scheduled on the docket. So, uh, the creative is now, you know, John Guborek is back, uh, involved in the creative side with Scott D'Amore and Sanjay Dutt. D'Amore and Dutt obviously are well-known to be, um, close associates of Jarrett. Sanjay Dutt turned down a potential WWE, um, Performance Center job to go work with Jarrett. Damore has been tied to Jarrett for many years, obviously. Bullet Club member Scott Damore. Did you forget about that? The futures of Dutch Mantel and Jim Cornette are up in the air. You know, the creative side, it's, uh, you know, when... Scott DeMore has always been a guy with a good reputation for a good mind for the business. He was the primary, uh, I, don't, you know, I don't want to say booker or um, in charge of creative during some of TNA's best periods. Sanjay Dutt is someone who is well respected in wrestling, very well respected. He was booking a lot of the Global Force stuff before the, you know, when Global Force was its own entity. And he's well respected in, in, in many circles in pro wrestling. Obviously, guys like Dutch Mantel and Jim Cornette. Now, Jim Cornette, Meltzer claims he's not part of creative. I was told different, where he's not a primary part, but they are bouncing things off of him. And if you have Jim Cornette in the building, you're obviously going to bounce things off him. I mean, come on. Uh, so, those, you know, Mantel and Cornette are obviously have great reputations for having great. So, you can see why the booking and the television has improved dramatically. Post Dixie Carter, uh, post you know Hardy era, um, you know with with these minds sort of, but John Guborik getting back in the mix kind of concerns me. I don't even know how he survived the Carter era. Uh, going away, but but you know here we are. So we'll see what happens with that. So there will have to be a shakeout on the creative side. And the show's been okay. I mean, it hasn't been great or anything, but it's been a massive improvement from the previous era. Massive improvement. So, um, you know, I wish that we had more to add to this, but we don't. I mean, you know, it's, it's still a developing story, and um, as I scan the Observer, you know, Dave didn't really have a ton more to add either on the pay side. You can pretty much get exactly what he had to say in the Observer on the free report that he put up Wednesday on the website. I'm not seeing much new information at all in the Observer, so. Yeah, other than the uh, Jeff Jarrett-Alberto Del Rio match, which was being... uh, built up to, which ultimately would have turned out to be Alberto versus Rey Mysterio Jr., but that all fell apart anyway, long before this Jarrett stuff fell apart for political reasons and everything else, so yeah, um, TNA turmoil once again, it's just, I, I find it hilarious that Global Force Wrestling could somehow f- you know continue to find a way to survive even if uh, Anthem ultimately sells the company, to someone who, you know, if they happen to sell it to WWE, it'll be shut down. But Global force will live on. Double J will never lose. He will never lose. It's amazing. He held up Vince McMahon successfully for like 250 grand or whatever it was. And think about this: Vince McMahon <laughs> might purchase impact wrestling. But Jarrett will will still survive. Global Force will still survive, despite the fact they merged. And Vince may buy it. Global Force will still it's it's amazing. JJ always comes out ahead. And who knows? Maybe he'll take his band of uh, Pat Buck indie workers and and get back on pop TV somehow. Would you can you can you doubt it with this guy? So we'll see. Hopefully we have more next week. Do we have an ad read this week? I think we do. We do. It's Dollar Shave Club. You know all about Dollar Shave Club. They're synonymous with the Voices of Wrestling podcast at this point. And by now, everyone knows that Dollar Shave Club ships amazing razors for a few bucks. Myself and Rich have been members for a while, and we love love the shave that it provides. What you might not know, though, is that Dollar Shave Club also has products for pretty much everything else that you need in the bathroom. Body wash, shampoo, hair gel, lip balm, if you're into that, everything. As soon as I heard Dollar Shave Club had stuff other than razors, I was all in. At the store, there's too many options for this stuff. You can't tell the difference between any of them. If you have any questions, if you're like me, you don't like asking people questions, I don't ask anybody anything. Dollar Shave Club makes it easy and convenient for you to upgrade your shave and your bathroom. Now you don't have to step foot in the store and believe me, I don't want to step foot in the store. Okay, Joe Lanza doesn't like shopping. With Dollar Shave Club, you don't have to step foot in the store to get a high quality shave and grooming products. They'll just deliver them right to your door. And just like the razors, everything is super high quality and will leave you looking and feeling amazing. From the premium ingredients to sophisticated scents, Dollar Shave Club is changing the game. So if you're sick of the nonsense at the store and buying all these products, now is the time to try out Dollar Shave Club. For a limited time, Dollar Shave Club is giving away their shit shower and shave starter set to new members. For just $5, this starter set features the Executive Razor, that's the one Joel Anza uses, and three trial-sized versions of their most popular products that will help you stay fresh and clean. You will receive the Shave Butter, the Body Wash, and the One Wipe Charlie Butt Wipes. That's right, the Butt Wipes. First time ever being offered. Here at Voices Wrestling, you'll receive the executive razor with the premium weighty handle and a full cassette of cartridges, and after that first box, those replacement cartridges are sent for only a few bucks a month, plus the butt wipes, the body wash, and the shave butter. This offer is exclusively available at dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. Dollar Shave Club's high-quality products will have you covered from face cheek to butt cheek. There is no better time to try the club. You know, we've been with Dollar Shave Club a long time. They're, you know, they're, they're tremendous. From what I understand, we've sold a tremendous amount of razors for these guys. You know, they bought in for the entire year of 2017, back in January, they had faith in us. Yeah. Who better to try to sell butt wipes than the Voices of Wrestling podcast? I mean, let's be honest. You know, they 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 made a tremendous choice. I know you guys are rushing to DollarShaveClub.com/voices for this five dollar deal just to get the butt wipes. I mean, come on. I can't wait to get these things. I'm going to talk about them on the show, obviously. Who better to read a, a, a butt-wipe ad than Joe Lanza? I mean, geez. Let's do some May Young Classic. Last week, we talked about round one. Let's break down the uh, second, third, and fourth rounds here. I guess, technically, it's the... Uh, Second round, quarterfinals, and semifinals. The finals uh, will air live September 12th. It's going to be Shayna Baszler taking on Kari Sane. And I think the way the tournament played out, that they nailed the correct final. I think it was uh, pretty obvious that they foreshadowed Baszler uh, getting to the final pretty much from day one. And uh, it really came down to Sane and Storm, who ultimately did meet in the semifinal on that side of the bracket. And you really couldn't have went wrong with either one of them, honestly, but uh, Sane, I think, was the right choice. So it'll be Sane and Baszler. be an interesting matchup. And I think it's the right matchup. But it was episodes 5 through 8, which led us there. And as we suspected last week with some of the less experienced performance center uh, wrestlers eliminated, the match quality did improve. I will say, I'll say this. You know, the tournament did start to drag for me. The one thing I loved about it is the same thing I loved about the Cruiserweight Classic. The presentation was right up my alley. Right up my alley. No nonsense. Um... Real sport presentation with just enough pro wrestling stuff mixed in. Real personalities presented as opposed to over-the-top personalities and over-the-top wrestling storylines. No. It was just 32, well, with the exception of uh, uh, Crazy Mary Dobson, uh, Sarah Logan. You know, because that's just, was just utterly ridiculous. Just total shit. But aside from Sarah Logan, just you know, personalities you can relate to, stories you can relate to, and 32 wrestlers whose stated goal was just to win the next match and win the tournament, and that's what I, that's all I need out of my wrestling. You know, that's all I need, and that was that to me was my favorite part of this. And even though the, st- the tournament started to drag as it moved along. And even though some of the first round stuff was was let's face it, it sucked. Because of that aspect, it kept my attention. And these tournaments are really the, my favorite thing that this company does these days. They really are. And I hope they do more of them. Whether it's another Cruiserweight Classic or another women's tournament or, you know, something You know, Japanese tournament, Mexican tournament, whatever the case may be, I really enjoy these because of the presentation aspect of them. Was this as good as the Cruiserweight Classic? No, it wasn't even close. But I still enjoyed it. Um, What I was thinking about as it came to a close was, you know, if they do an all female show or if some of these women end up on NXT or Raw or SmackDown. Just like the Cruiserweight Classic, this was the end of the road for this presentation, though. We all know that. You know, 205 Live, we've got Brian Kendrick, you know, in a feud with Jack Gallagher right now, where he, you know, he's, which is based around Jack Gallagher being upset because Brian Kendrick calls him a clown. You know, and that's not what the Cruiserweight Classic was about. And that's not what this tournament was about. So. Um, Unfortunately, it'll be the end of the road for the tremendous presentation that we saw here. But I'm not going to sit here and break down, you know, however many matches uh, that were on those eight episodes. So I've decided to approach this a different way. I'm going to give you some lists. Some Lanza lists. And we're going to start with top five stock rising coming out of this thing. Of course, with the final pending. But we've got a pretty good idea about Basler and Sane at this point. But I'm going to tell you whose stock rose the most for me coming in. And remember, when I do the stock rising and the stock falling, okay, in order for your stock to fall, it had to have started somewhere. So you're not going to see a lot of names like, you know, um, trying to think of someone who... You're not going to see a Miranda Salinas or somebody like that um, you know, or a Renee Michelle on your stock falling list simply because they weren't very impressive. So they had no stock to lose. By the same token, in order to be stock rising, you have to—you you couldn't have started at the top. You're not going to see Akari Sane on a stock rising list. You know, she she came into the tournament as as already with a reputation as the best person in it. So keep that in mind as I as I go through these lists. We'll start with the stock rising. These are the top five stock rising women in the cruiserweight class in the cruiserweight class in the May Young Classic, as I see it. And we'll start from the bottom. Number five, Mia Yim. Now we all knew Mia Yim was pretty good, right? Had a very underrated uh, run in TNA. Been around for a while, you know. But I thought uh, the Sarah Logan match was one of the best matches of the first round, regardless of Logan's cringe gimmick. And I thought Mia Yim, and I'm going to talk about this a little more um, when, we, when I talk about Shayna Baszler a little bit, but I thought Mia Yim did such a great job with Shayna Baszler. Shayna Baszler was not impressive in round one, and I talked about that last week. And she was way more impressive in the three matches that followed in round two, the quarters, and the semis, and I do believe it was because of quality of opponent, starting with Mia Yim, who just did a tremendous job. Selling for Shayna Baszler. So Yim had two matches here, and I thought she couldn't have looked better. And 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 she came away from this tournament to me as someone who they have to sign. They just have to sign her. She brings so much to the table. Number four, stock rising. Jazzy Gabbert. And I'm gonna tie her in with my number three, which is Zeta. Because I thought Jazzy Gabbert and Zeta. Both should have won a match. Now, that doesn't mean I think they should have won the match they participated in, necessarily. Because obviously Zeta should not have defeated Shayna Baszler, and I don't think Jazzy Gabbert should have, you know, defeated Abby Leith. But, man, they should have found a way to advance Jazzy Gabbert somehow. They should have fed Abby Leith some other geek, and had Jazzy Gabbert get into at least the second round. Because of the people who didn't come... I mean, look, I know Jazzy Gabbert's been around for a while. Zeta, you know, was brand new to everybody. But for some of the people who didn't have big reputations coming in, you know, I thought Jazzy Gabbert and Zeta, with the exception of when I get to the number one person on this list, impressed me more than any of the others. I I thought they had a presence... Uh, especially, I mean, Zeta for her level of experience. I mean, she just popped off the screen to me. I think they've got something with Zeta. And Jazzy Gabbard is just so different from everybody else. I mean, Jazzy Gabbard should be on Raw right now. I Right now. That was a tremendous match with Leth in the first round. Speaking of Lath, number two on my stock rising is Abby Lath. If you're a long-time listener here, and if you listened last week, I've never thought much of Kimberly. And I saw the best two or three matches that I've ever seen Kimberly have in this tournament. Stock rising through the roof, and she would have been my number one if not for the number one, which I think is a no-brainer, and everybody knows where I'm going with it. But Leith impressed the hell out of me. Now, keep in mind... From what I'm told, she had a very good run in Chikara. I did I saw zero of those matches because Chikara might as well take place in Siberia. I wouldn't watch a Chikara show if it was in my backyard. I mean, forget it. So I didn't see any of that, to be fair. But I saw I've seen plenty of Kimberly pre Chikara. And I always thought she kind of stunk. I mean, she just wasn't a good pro wrestler to me. Two left feet. Um just just not a you know, sloppy. Never liked her. Thought she was way overhyped. She was impressive as hell. Uh, as, you know, an underdog babyface against Jazzy Gabbert. sold her ass off, had an excellent match with Rachel Evers. It was kind of half of a match, um, you know, but excellent nonetheless. They kind of, um, you know, it, it wasn't a complete match. But what the, you know, but the, but the match they had was was I thought was ex- I thought her performance was excellent. And then in the uh, quarterfinals, she lost to Mercedes Martinez, and I was I was angry. I was angry that she lost. I wanted her to move on. So she's number two on my list. I, I'm very impressed with her performance, at least bell to bell. There was talk that she was pegged to go farther in this thing, but she's had some political issues in the company, and that's a shame. Because I think Bell to Bell, she's got it all put together. But number one on the stock rising, and this is just, you know, I, I don't know how this can't be everybody's on that's Bianca Belair. I mean, this person's a superstar. This person is a superstar. And I didn't know who the hell she was before this thing started. So if you want to talk about stock rising, I mean the only thing I knew about her was, you know, uh, you know, the the qualifying match against Aaliyah from way back when, you know, and I didn't think much of her in that match. You know, it was fine, I guess, but I think Aaliyah stinks. So, um, but I mean, she just—I this Bianca Belair. I mean, she's just got, um, you know, a tremendous gimmick with the hair. And incredible athleticism and a presence. At this stage of the game, to have that kind of presence, she's a star. She'd have to self-destruct to not end up being a you know a star. And I thought the. Uh, I might as well give it away now. I thought the Sane Belair match in the second round was the best match of the tournament. I went four stars on that. The only four star match of the tournament, in my opinion. She did like a mid match heel turn. I mean, she really did it all in two matches. She did it all, and I like the Sage Beckett match in the first round. But the but the Belair Sane match to me was the best match of the tournament. And if not for, you know, a sloppy elbow at the end there by Sane, I would have went a little bit higher. Belair, you know, against one of the best women's wrestlers in the world, not only held her own, but, I mean, really stood out in that match against Sane. I can't say enough. She looked fantastic. And I couldn't have told you the first thing about her before the tournament started. The definition of rising stock is Bianca Belair. So let's do the opposite exercise. Stock falling in the Mae Young Classic. Number five, Dakota Kai. Was not impressed. But I have to put an asterisk on this one. Number one, she came into this thing, I had the highest expectations. So in order for your stock to fall, you had to have started somewhere on a high plane. And she did. I had... I've heard nothing but good things about Evie for years. And I came away less than impressed. Now to be fair, and this is why I'm going to put the asterisk on this one. Kavita Devi, not ready. Rhea Ripley, not ready. Tough draw. Tough draw to impress. Kind of reminded me of the, of the poor saps who got stuck with Ho-Ho Lun in the Cruiserweight Classic which was, uh, I believe it was Arya Davari who had to lose to that guy. And I think it was Akira Tazawa. You know, it, when you have a shitty green opponent, it's tricky. There's not much you can do with Ho-Ho-Lun. She faced Kairi Sane, and it was a good match. So, this could have been a victim of opponents, and just a poor draw, but I, I, she, Dakota Kai did not come across as anything special at all in this tournament. Just got to be fair. Number four, Lacey Evans. And the only reason I put her on this list, because she's green and she's brand new, but the company has been pushing her very hard in both the promos for the tournament, during the tournament, and she just wasn't very good. but it's obvious that they like her and they're going to get behind her, but she has a ways to go. Probably not fair to put her on a list like this, but, yeah, what are you going to do? Number three, Sarah Logan. And it has nothing to do with her performance. That gimmick is the fucking pits. I can't bury that thing enough. It's got to go. In a tournament full of real personalities and people that you can get behind for being people... We were fed this bullshit. it was like the uh the ZZ geek who everyone knew wasn't gonna make it from tough enough it's just bad I mean you know I feel bad for um for her that she's saddled with this, but um much better off as crazy Mary Dobson or this is just it was just horrendous the gimmick is so bad and it stands out. When there's 31 other people not doing a cringe gimmick. Well, with the exception of um, Reina Gonzalez with the stupid half mat, Yeah, she was the pits, too. And she stunk in the ring. At least Dakota... Uh, at least, I'm sorry. At least Sarah Logan had a good match. This Reina Gonzalez stinks. I hope I never see her again. She's got to just go. Um, but But, yeah. No fault of her own. Strictly through a poor gimmick. Sarah Logan's number three on the stock falling. Number two, Marty Bell. Now, I never thought much of Marty Bell to begin with, but Marty Bell was atrocious. And she was worse than a lot of the brand new people off of the, you know, straight out of the PC in this thing. And I can't imagine they bring her back. I can't imagine she wrestles another match for this company. Maybe she has. I haven't really read the... But, but you know, I'd be surprised. She was really bad. You know, when they when they change the finish mid match, you know you're awful. And number one stock falling, and I think this one is very easy. That's Mercedes Martinez. I was very disappointed with Mercedes Martinez through this entire tournament. This is a veteran. This is someone with a decent reputation. And I thought in her first three matches. Her performances were listless, lifeless, no energy. And I think she just did a poor job. And I was, I was angry when she beat Abby Lath. I thought Abby Lath wrestled with heart and guts and showed some fire. And Mercedes Martinez showed none of that. You know, if I'm someone who knew nothing about any of these people, I'd never want to see Mercedes Martinez again. She made no impression. Talk about getting an opportunity and and not taking a stranglehold on it. Now, the Baszler match, I thought she was great. A ton of fire. You know, where was that in the first three bouts? And, you know, she had a tough draw too. The Chinese girl in the first round, Zaya Lee. I mean, total inexperience there. Then she had to work with a luchadora in the second round. Not easy if you haven't worked, you know, that style. And it showed me nothing in the lathe match, and I'm sure they've crossed paths before. It's like there's a lack of familiarity there. Both veterans. Okay? But she showed me nothing until the Shayna Baszler match. Nothing. And she didn't make either one of these lists, but I want to talk about Baszler a little. I thought Baszler, um, like I talked about last week, looked very poor against Zeta. And I thought she looked uh, much, much better in the following rounds against Yim, Larray and Martinez. But when you look at those three matches, look at those three opponents, Yim, LeRae, and Martinez, and I don't think this was an accident. And if it was an accident, they lucked out. You've got what? 15, 30? You've got like almost 40, 50 years experience between those three opponents. When you're talking about Candice LeRae, about 15 years, right? Mercedes Martinez, same thing, probably been wrestling about 15 years. What's Mia Yim been around? About 10 years, I guess? Maybe a little less? Maybe not that long. Eh, a little less. 2009 is what I'm coming up with. So still, you know, you're talking almost 40 years combined experience with those three opponents. Veterans, all well-respected. And I think that helped Baszler tremendously. Mia Yim, as I already talked about, did a tremendous job with Baszler in round two. And then Candice LeRae. I mean... I'm not going to call it a carry job. I think that's too strong. But Candice LeRae, the Candice LeRae-Shayna Baszler match should be the template for every Shayna Baszler match moving forward. LeRae was so good. So good in making Baszler look like a million bucks and an absolute killer. Same for Yim, but, but LeRae in a totally different way. Lorey really has that same quality as her husband, as Johnny Organo. Great underdog, fiery baby face, can't even picture as a heel, at least in this environment. What a perfect opponent for basil just perfect with the size and everything. Perfect, great, just such a great job she did with her. And then Baszler worked with Martinez in, in the semifinals, and it was Martinez's best match by far. Um, So Baszler, to me, the jury's still out. Obviously, I think she has a ton of potential. I'm not I'm not writing her off. I'm not burying Baszler or writing her off. I, I just, I don't know. I feel like she, she really got a great draw. Go And, and again, she'll work with, with Kari Sane, and I'm sure that'll be great too. But could you pick four better opponents to work with in this thing? If, if you're an inexperienced wrestler who's been wrestling about a year, year and a half or whatever it is, then Yim, LeRae, Martinez, and Sane, I mean, geez, they put it on a silver platter for it. That's why I think it was clearly by design. But anyway, I, for my stock falling, my number one easily was Mercedes Martinez. Couldn't have been less impressed and and disappointed. Now I'm going to give you who I thought were the top five overall wrestlers of the tournament. And I think uh, what's controversial, what what will come off as controversial here is I'm leaving Shayna Baszler off for reasons I've already discussed. It's not that I didn't enjoy her, but I, I, I didn't think she was one of the top five performers in the tournament. I just didn't. Number five, Serena Deeb. And and there's not a lot of people talking about Serena Deeb, but um, I loved her story and I I, I think that she wrestled very well, particularly against Piper Niven. The first half of the Piper Niven match, I thought Piper Niven was um, I, it was just a little off. I don't know if she was. I doubt that she was nervous. She's wrestled on the big stage before. Um, there was just something about, and I thought Deeb really held the match together. And I thought Deeb, um really was the standout in that match. I thought of all of Piper Niven's matches, uh, that was the one where the opponent was the standout and the better performer. That was a real veteran performance by Serena Deeb against Niven. It really was. And I thought Deeb really acquitted herself well, and I would love to see her get another shot. Number four, talked about her a little bit already, Candice LeRae. She's got that Johnny Gargano quality, She wrestled three matches in the tournament. I thought her best work was against uh, Baszler. She had long matches in all three rounds, too. They really trusted her to work a long time in a tournament where not everybody got a ton of time. They gave her a ton of time in all of her matches. Number three, Piper Niven. I thought the Santana-Garrett match was one of the best matches of the entire tournament. I already talked about the Serena Deep match a bit, and then I enjoyed the Tony Storm match as well. I thought Piper Niven, obviously she has a different look than everybody else in the tournament, but it's not just look with her; she can go. Number two is Tony Storm, and you know I don't think that Storm. You know, I'm looking at my top five matches of the tournament, and she wasn't in any of them. But what really stood out to me with Tony Storm is she came off like the biggest star in this thing. She came off as the most confident wrestler in the tournament in terms of projecting her um, persona, and and just she, to me, she just screamed star more than anybody else in this thing. And her matches were they were good enough. Yeah, there's not much you can do with an Aisha Raymond and a Lacey Evans. You know, I thought she had very good matches with Piper Niven and, and Kari Sane when her opponents were more her caliber. Now, I've seen her have better matches than she's had in this tournament. But she just, you know, you know like I said about Bianca Belair earlier, she just popped off the screen. Tony Storm came away looking like the biggest star in this thing. And my number one was Carrie Sane, which is, you know, I was putting this together and I was thinking to myself, this is a really boring pick because I would think that coming in, a lot of people would have picked her to um, have been, you know, if they were predicting this, you'd say that maybe she would, you know, because you know she's going to go deep into the tournament and get plenty of opportunities. And obviously she's in the finals. But you look every step of the way. I mean, excellent match against Tessa Blanchard best match of the tournament in my opinion against Bianca Belair best match uh, of Dakota Kai's tournament was against Kari Sane and then uh, a very good match in the semifinals against uh, Tony Storm she delivered every round and she lived up to the hype and I thought overall this was the best performer in the tournament Boring pick, but I got to be honest. In terms of the best matches, I gave away my, my number one match. I really I thought it was uh, Carrie Sane and, and Bianca Belair. That was a four-star match to me. The only match that crossed the four-star threshold in the entire tournament. My number two match was Candice LeRae and Shayna Baszler. I talked about that one a bit. It's an incredible match. The most inten- That was the most intense match of the tournament. And then some others, I didn't really rank them, but uh, Piper Niven, Santana Garrett. Round one. I thought that was the best Santana Garrett match I've ever seen. I talked about it last week. Abby Lath and um, Jazzy Gabbert. First match to air in the tournament, and I thought, um, you know, either that or the Niven Garrett match were the best matches of the first round. And Piper Niven, the only person to appear twice uh, on my list here against Serena Deeb in round two, I thought uh, was one of the five best matches of the tournament as well. So, a lot of stuff early in the tournament. In fact, I think all five of the, well, No, LeRae Baszler was a uh, quarterfinal match, but the other four matches that I, I've mentioned here were all first or second round matches, which is interesting. Probably why I felt the tournament started to drag. You know, I thought there was more bad in the first round. There wasn't anything bad beyond the first round. I can't really say there was anything that was bad. But the better stuff was sort of front-loaded. did drag a little towards the end there. A lot of the same match structures. I mean, we, we discussed that last week when Rich was here, and Rich will join us in a bit to talk about some other topics. But, um, you know, you saw a lot of repetitive stories in these matches, which I thought uh, hurt the tournament a little bit, too. But overall, it was a good viewing experience. I can't complain. You know, Um, it's, uh, I think, you know, if if Nixon Newell would have been involved and didn't blow out her ACL, I think she would have done, uh, you know, had an excellent. uh, Miranda Salinas replaced her. You know, she certainly would have acquitted herself better than Salinas. I think Nixon Newell is one of the five best female wrestlers on the planet. So that was a big loss. I think of the a lot of the alternates were better than the people that were in the tournament, than some of the people that were in the tournament. The alternates were Deanna Perazzo, Jessica James, Nicole Matthews, Lady Tapa, and Barbie Hayden. And I think you could easily take those five alternates and replace, you know, your Reyna Gonzalez's, and your Zia Lee's, and your, you know, whoever else. Miranda Salinas, um... Vanessa Bourne, the Brazilian girl uh, Conti Aisha Raymond I mean you know the alternates and Nixon duel are way better than those than those people but you know there's reason they want this to be like a world event and have people from around the globe I get it I understand I mean some of those alternates are better than some of the people that got pushed. So, we'll get the final on uh, September 12th. Looking forward to it. I mean, it has a chance to be the best match of the tournament. That's what you want your final to be every time out, right? You want the final of a tournament to be the best match of a tournament. And Baszler Sane has a chance to be that. There's no super high bar to clear. There was no match in this thing that has everybody buzzing. There just wasn't. There's no match of the year contender, you know. There's no. I think if you ask people what the best match was, if you asked hundred people, you know, you're you're gonna get split opinions. You're not going There's not gonna be a runaway answer for what was the best match in this tournament. So I think the final has a has a really good chance of being uh, the best match in the thing. So that's your May Young classic, and of course we'll uh, talk about the final I guess next week, right? September twelfth is well maybe not. That's on a Tuesday. Yeah, I guess, yeah, we should be able to break that down on next week's show. It's generally record on a Wednesday or a Thursday, so was, uh, provided we have both seen it by then, which you know. It's a big event, so I think we'll find both we'll find a way to watch it in time. Let's do a little New Japan. New Japan Destruction in Fukushima coming up September 10th. Um, by the time you know some of you listen to this show a little later in the week or whatever, this show will have taken place already. But a good chunk of you, this will actually serve as a legitimate preview. But the first thing we have to do is talk about the Cork and Hall show that took place on the 7th. I believe it was the 7th, yeah. Good show, not a great show, nothing must see, but there were some newsworthy things on this New Japan Pro Wrestling and Hall show, which we have to get to. Number one, they shot an angle with Mike Elgin and Minoru Suzuki. Their tag match in and Hall ended up being an absolute riot, ended in a DQ. Elgin gets disqualified for attacking Suzuki with a chair cuts a post match promo and the never open weight title match which is going to headline in fukushima is now a lumberjack death match to me this is a downgrade i think lumberjack matches stink i think lumberjack matches in new japan stink even worse wasn't fan of the last one they did um Which also involves Suzuki. Now, the Prince Devitt Tanahashi lumberjack match from a few years ago, I guess 2013, was awesome. But, you know, other than that, you know, you could take your lumberjack matches and you can fucking kick rocks. They stink. I'd rather just see Suzuki and Elgin go toe to -to toe. But, you know, what are you going to do? Another interesting result on this Cork and Hall show was Yujiro pinning Trent Beretta. I guess he's just Beretta in New Japan. In a six-man match, it was Yujiro, Chase Owens, and Bad Luck Fale against Beretta, Yoshihashi, and Hiroki Goto. And Yujiro pinned Beretta, which was surprising to me. But then Yujiro cut a promo on Beretta telling him, you know, basically, welcome to being a heavyweight, pal. It's not going to be easy. So it looks like they're going to do a Yujiro-Beretta feud. It looks like Beretta's going to take his lumps at first as a heavyweight. They're going to tell the story of a junior moving up isn't going to be so easy. And he's going to have himself a little issue with Yujiro. And if you notice on the uh, Destruction in Fukushima show, they're on opposite sides in the tag again. So it looks like, uh, and that's actually it's going to be Beretta and Jado against Chase Owens and Ujiro. Which, um, you know, so maybe we're going to get a Ujiro Beretta like mid-card match at the next big show after the Destruction Tour wraps up. That I'm all for that. I'm all for that. I think one thing that New Japan lacks are singles matches that are not for titles. I, that's why. I'm pleased that they're doing this Willow Spray-Huromu-Takahashi thing. You know, a a junior singles match that doesn't involve the junior title. And hopefully they do a Yujiro-Beretta match at some point, which, you know, is just two guys with a grudge. New Japan doesn't do enough of that. They really don't. And it would spice up, you know, underneath, the underneath of some of these shows in the mid-card. And Yujiro's the perfect guy for Beretta to overcome and defeat in a singles match to kind of start to move up the ladder as a heavyweight. Because you're not going to do anything with a Yujiro. You know what I mean? It's a good starter feud for Beretta. So I think it's a good idea. So I was surprised by the finish, but once Yujiro started cutting a promo, I was like, ah, I see where they're going here. I like this. This is good stuff. Any other big news coming out of this show? Well, actually, um, I should mention Leo Tonga made his debut. his Kenny Omega wrestled uh, the Aichi show, the first show of the tour, uh, and then he uh, had his uh, arthroscopic knee surgery on that meniscus. And he's going to wrestle Juice Robinson um, Yo and Kobe. That, that match is still on. He's going to take the rest of the tour off. And obviously, it wasn't a super serious injury if he was you know, he wrestled the first date, which wasn't an important date. And then got the surgery afterwards. Leo Tonga's replacing him on the entire tour. We got our first look at him here. He's a big kid. Very tall. Taller than Bad Luck Volley. The brother of Tama Tonga Loa and Tamatanga. The son of Haku. Another son of Haku. I think one of these boys or two of these boys are actually adopted – an adopted son of Haku and the others are, are, are a blood son. But it doesn't matter. I mean they're all his sons. Uh, but I don't remember which one was adopted and, and which ones weren't. I can't – I don't recall. Uh, but this Leo Tanga, tall kid, um, considered a top prospect for a long – we've been hearing about this guy from New Japan sources for, for about a year or so now. And he's considered a pro- a worldwide prospect, not just a New Japan prospect, but a guy that WWE would eventually you know have their eye on. You know, based on size alone, when his body fills out, he's going to be a big dude. He looked green here. They gave him some shine. You know, he he had his moments in this match, and uh, you know he 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 was pinned by Juice, Juice Robinson, Pulp Frick. He took the pulp Friction, but they gave him some moments before that happened. He got some oohs and ahs from Corican. He might be the tallest guy in New Japan. He's, he's taller than Fale, and Fale towers over everyone. So he's probably about, I don't know, 6'7", six, 6'8", six, somewhere in that range. So I don't think Fale is as big as people think, uh, you know, but, but Tonga's got a couple inches on him. So we got our first look at him. Uh, the other big news coming out of this was Evil... With Rich's favorite stipulation. Rich is going to join us later, by the way. Uh, but Rich's favorite stipulation. The elimination match. Chaos versus Los Ingobernables, And Evil is the sole survivor. Eliminating Okada over the top rope. In just under 20 minutes. In a fun match. Again, nothing you need to go out of your way to see on this show, but... A solid show from top to bottom. A bunch of three-star stuff. Easy watch. Two and a half hours. Skip the intermission. No reason not to watch the show, but nothing to go out of your way to see. And I should note that Will Ospreay, once again, was the standout in this main event, in this elimination match. Will Ospreay is almost always the standout in any New Japan match he has. And they just do not push the guy. It's amazing. He's a point man in, in what they've got going on in Australia. He's a worldwide superstar. And they will not push this man. It, it's, it's baffling. But hopefully he beats Hiromu in this singles match they have coming. I'm not worried about Hiro- Hiromu. He'll be pushed for years. I think he's a future main eventer. I'm not worried about Hiromu. It would be advantageous to them at this point for Will Ospreay to beat Hiromu. And here's the thing. I know Hiromu eventually facing Kushida makes more sense, even though we've seen that match a bunch of times this year. And Will Ospreay fe- facing Kushida really doesn't make sense because Ospreay never beats Kushida. In kayfabe, it's a mismatch. Kushida never loses to the man. I think it's they're up to 3-0 and at this point. Kushida over Osprey, so for him to get a you know another crack at Kushida, it, you know, it's not the best story. Hiromu's the better story, but I've, I they really got to push Will Osprey. I mean, guy, I mean, come on, it's very frustrating. So let's look at this uh, destruction in Fukushima. Am I pronouncing that right? Fukushima, we've got a preview up on the site. John Carroll, Taylor Mainberg, and Matt McEwen previewed the show, and they basically buried it. They don't like this lineup. Harai Kawato and Yuji Nagata face Manabu Nakanishi and Shota Uminu. Shota Uminu, I got a good look at him on that and Hall show. He had a uh, ten-minute draw. Oh, uh, yeah, ten-minute draw against uh, Yagi Tetsuhiro. Um, they looked alright. They were, you know, good functional young boys. They certainly aren't the standouts of this group. Harai Kawato certainly is, and I think he's finally going to be on the winning side with a uh, a uh, a young boy that's his junior on the opposite side. But Nak- Nakanishi never wins, so Nagata and Kawato will win that one. I'm just curious if they'll give Kawato the fall, which I would like them to do. Kowato's tremendous. I mean, you can't help. He's got a crowd connection at such an early stage that s- few guys have. I mean, he he's not the worker yet that, you know, a Tanaka or a Kamatsu or a Jay White were at this stage, but he's got a crowd connection that those guys did not have. And it's not like those guys didn't connect with the crowd, but he has a special crowd connection, this Kowato. He really does. Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi versus Katsuya Kitamura and Tomoyuki Oka. Obviously, it's a couple of uh, young Lions there taking on some established guys. The finish is going to be a no-brainer. Goto and Yoshihashi have been teaming a lot lately. Um, you know, Are they going to get them involved in the heavyweight title, uh, tag title mix? I hope so. I hope so. How'd you like Dave Dave Meltzer riling people up a couple weeks ago when he said that Katsuya Kitamura... Here's what he said. He basically said that Braun Strowman was Katsuya Kitamura with a push. Man, did that upset people. He's probably not wrong, though. I like Strowman. Chase Owens and Yujiro versus Beretta and Jado. We talked about this a little bit. It looked like just a throwaway mid-card match, right? But now we've got this Beretta Yujiro thing going on. So there's a little bit more juice going on in that match. There's a reason to pay attention to that match. whereas before, there wasn't at all. And then we've got uh, Taguchi Japan in this case. It's Taguchi, Ricochet, Tanahashi, and Kushida. And Makabe is a 10-man match. Against a bunch of Suzuki Gun dudes, Despi, Taichi, Takamishinoku, Takashi Azuka, and uh, Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Yoshinobu Kanemaru and Taichi are the next challengers for Ricochet and Taguchi, so that's the that's the deal there. They scored a win. uh, Kanemaru, uh scored the pin at Cork and Hall using that deep impact DDT. So. uh Yeah, just your typical mid-card filler tag there. IWGP Tag Team Titles, War Machine, The Champions, Defend Against Killer Elite Squad, and Guerrillas of Destiny. They're doing the same match on all three Destruction shows. Our previewers buried the shit out of this booking, and it's well-deserved. Nobody wants to see this match three times in a row. And here's here's the thing. I bet you it's a good match. We complain about these three ways every time, and every time they're decent. But the booking is lame, and you can't get into them. It's lazy, and it's boring, and we're tired of it. And, you know, Gato Jesus doesn't give a shit. Bad Luck Folly and Leo Tonga two tallest men in the company take on David Finley and Juice Robinson. Based on the fact that Leo Tonga lost in Corkin, I would think that David Finley might finally score himself a win. Nah, you know, Juice will probably score the pin. I think Finley will be on the winning side here. Tomohiro Ishii and Willow Spray versus Hiromu Takahashi and Tetsuya Naito. On paper, this looks excellent. But as John Carroll points out in the review, I don't know if the working shoes are going to be on for all four guys. Certainly not Naito and Ishii. I doubt that they're going to go balls to the wall here. Osprey always works hard. I'm not worried about him. Takahashi, too, he's a nut. Those two guys will work hard. Uh, the heavyweights, we'll see. I mean, that could be a great match if everybody goes all out. The question is, will they? And this will advance both of those singles matches that are coming up. Of course, we're going to have Naito and Ishii for the briefcase on this tour. And we assume Ospreay and and Hiromu at some point after this tour. Presumably for a number one contender spot for Kushida. Okada, Yano, and Rocky Romero versus Evil, Sonata, and Bushi. This is just for Evil and Okada to square off on opposite sides. It's also for the never-open-weight six-man tag team titles, so there is that, but I don't expect the Chaos side to win. Although with these titles, you really never know, but I really don't think they're going to put that title on, on, on Okada. So I would expect Evil to, you know, Soul survivor and Corkin, and I would expect him to probably pin Rocky Romero here. As he was elevated greatly in the G1, and he has been booked like an absolute killer, um, you know, since beating Okada. So um, they've really built him up well, and I think that they're gonna have an excellent title match. And um, you know, Evil's a made guy now. He he just is. He's in the mix. I think he's gonna have a big 2018. And then, main event, we talked about a little bit. Minoru Suzuki versus Mike Elgin. It has now been changed to a Lumberjack death match. So, on paper, not the strongest show. This was going to happen if you split them into threes. I mean, you've got two title matches, but... You know, one's the six-man titles, and the other is, you know a three way that no one can possibly be excited about. And later on in the tour the junior tag team titles, it'll be Ricochet and Taguchi defending against Taichi and Kanamoru. Uh, you know, Kenny Omega defends the US title against Juice Robinson, Tanahashi defends against uh, the Intercontinental title against Zack Sabre Jr., so there's some big, you know, some other title matches and some really big title matches coming up. A brief cape match with Naito and Ishii. but all this stuff split between three shows. I thought this show lost a lot of juice by changing the main event to a lumberjack death match. I just did. I just i you know I, to me, that went from a match I was looking forward to to a match I'm really not looking forward to at all. I'll be honest. So this is a show that has a chance to over deliver because I don't think the expectations are high for this show at all. This might be. The New Japan show with, you know, in terms of big New Japan shows with the lowest expectations this year. It's just not a great lineup. So that's Destruction in Fukushima. And we'll have a full review of that both on the site. I don't know who's doing it. It's not me. Let me see if I can find that out. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who's writing that review. But obviously we'll review it here too as well next week. So we'll definitely do that for you. And the May Young Classic finals, so, you know, next week's show is pretty well laid out. And then maybe a follow-up on this TNA stuff as well. Rich is going to join the show in a couple of minutes. I'm going to talk about Bola for a little bit here. As we wind down the topics. Ricochet is your winner. Ricochet wins the Battle of Los Angeles. And uh, let's see. We've got the, uh, the Observer, which just dropped. It looks like Big Dave went the full five on the Jack keith lee match. How about that? Dave attended all three shows, of course. Um, obviously, unless you attended the shows, you haven't seen them yet. But that was the match with the most buzz coming out. And Dave went the full five on Donovan, Die, Jack, Keith Lee. Keith Lee's had one hell of a year. One hell of a year. Breakout guy, WrestleMania weekend. A guy I've been watching for years down here in Texas. Got to end up in, you know, you'd think WWE will be all over this guy. Dave went four and a half on Sammy Guevara versus Joey Janela. You want to talk about Breakout Guys WrestleMania weekend. I mean, we talked about it at the time, but did anybody, was anyone a bigger winner? You want to talk about stock rising, like we did for the May Young Classic here a few minutes ago. Was anyone a bigger winner WrestleMania weekend than Joey Janela? I mean, holy shit. A lot of you probably never heard of him before WrestleMania weekend. New Jersey indie guy, wrestled a little bit in Chicago, but mostly out of New Jersey. You know, they do this Joey Janela spring break. He's the breakout indie star of the year. I mean, you know, come on. Between him and Keith Lee. Dave went four and a half on that Sammy Guevara Joey Janela. man. Sammy Guevara is a guy that I talked up for the last few years, probably since about 2013. And now he's broken out in a big way, too. Not on the Joey Janela Keith Lee level, but, you know, this match here, four and a half stars, might be his official coming out party for, you know, I think everyone pretty much well knows about Sammy Guevara by now. I mean, he just, you know, he had a short run on impact with the uh, World X Cup. He had a. PWG shot a couple months ago. But looks like he had the second best match in this tournament, at least according to Dave Meltzer. And Ricochet's your winner. Another loaded tournament with established indie superstars and guys like Sammy Guevara and Joey Janela and Keith Lee getting their first breaks. And it used to be that people come bola time would argue... Or be annoyed about PWG's distribution model and they should stream the shows, they should get out of the stone ages with the, with the slow DVDs, they've got to, you know, look, no one really talks about that anymore because we've given up on PWG, PWG is going to do things their way and they're not changing for anybody. We'll all get these DVDs in six months after nobody cares. Supposedly they still sell a ton of them, so somebody cares. Whereas we all know that they can probably make twice as much money if they would expedite this shit and have it available within a couple of, you know, two or three days, which other indie promotions are doing. There's no reason they can't do it. But that's not the big controversy. Now the new thing with BOLA, every September what we have to hear is, it sure would be nice if PWG would use more locals like the old days. What a stupid argument that is. What a stupid debate and a stupid argument that is. But I think I figured out why people argue about that so much because it's a lot like when people complain about booking. A lot of times, you're talking about two different things. From a business perspective, it would be idiotic for PWG to go backwards and start using local California indie guys. Idiotic. These shows sell out in 30 seconds. People fly from all over the world to come to these shows. It's the hottest ticket in wrestling because there's only about 300 of them and they sell out instantly. And it's not because Ray Rojas is working the show. It's because Ricochet's working the show. And Matt Riddle's working the show. And the Young Bucks are working the show. And Marty Skrull is working the show. Stars. Zack Sabre Jr., Matt Seidel. Michael Elgin. Kenny Omega. No one misses the Rock Nest Monsters. I'm sorry to break it to you. In terms of pushing tickets, no one misses them. It's a star business. From a business perspective, you can't go backwards, you can't do any better than they're doing if they insist on staying in that building. But where the disconnect is, is there's a segment of fans who feel like PWG has less heart and less soul without the local wrestlers. And honestly, that's, it's hard to argue against that. That's just a personal preference. That's the aesthetic. That's, it's very similar to a booking argument where sometimes you'll get in these booking debates with people and one side is arguing the business merit of a booking decision while the other side is arguing the artistic merit and neither side realizes that they're not making the same argument against each other. And then it just goes in circles. It's similar here. And I realized that debating people on this this week. When once again we were faced with this you know, goofy notion, ah, they're not using the law and i'm thinking to myself, "Wait, insane. Why would they do that?" You know what i mean? It's like yeah, but, but then i it, it hit me. I'm like, well, i'm looking at it from a business perspective." Where these other people are looking at it from a, a you know, an artistic perspective or an entertainment perspective. You know, it, it, it's two different arguments. My personal belief and you know I always made this art right, a promoter's job is to maximize their profits in any way. Look, they're selling these tickets for like $100 dollars a pop and they're gone in 30 seconds. There's no business argument that's going to make any sense that starts with, PWG should book less stars and start booking Jacob Fatu. No offense to Jacob Fatu. The guy's super impressive on tape. And I'll bet you he's in Ebola sooner than later. But it's just not his time yet. Because he's not going to sell tickets until he establishes more of a name. And they're all about selling these tickets out in 30 seconds. Could they mix in a local guy or two and would it hurt them? Probably not. You can make that argument. I'm not going to argue very hard against that. I think when people fly in from all over the globe to see a battle of Los Angeles, they want star power from top to bottom, baby. You know, they, they don't want local California guys. You know, this isn't CWF Hollywood. You know, PWG outgrew that years ago, and that's just the way it is. And look, maybe the shows don't have the heart and the soul that they used to have. You know, I don't know. I mean I, I watched PWG back then. And um, you know, I, I and I'm listen, and I'm not a huge fan of PWG now. I mean, I I think the distribution model sucks, and that hurts it for me. And I think, I think PWG is so good that it burns me out. I think it's almost that the shows are too good. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm exhausted when I'm halfway through a, a, a tournament like this. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted from watching wrestling halfway through these shows. There, it's almost. It's a poor product on tape. I I would love to be there live, but I think, it's a, I think the shows are almost too good for tape. I know that sounds nuts, but I'm exhausted. I don't even bother anymore. They're exhausting to watch. But live, I, I know I would have a blast. So I'm not some staunch PWG defender, but I will defend them not using the local talent Monday, Tuesday, Monday through Sunday. I there's just to me, there's no argument again. It's it's just, it's it's all it's about business at the end of the day. And honestly, I I you know even though the shows are exhausting now, I I you know the talent level so high that I prefer this model as well from an aesthetic point of view. But that's just me. I thought they used. I thought some of the local guys, you know, in the last, you know, the last decade, the previous, they were a little cringy, to be honest, some of them. But, but that's just my opinion. I mean, I rather Roger Ricochet and and you know, people and Donovan Dijak. That's just me, though. And yeah, I get it. You can watch those guys elsewhere, but you know, PWG does an excellent job giving you first time matchups. I mean, where else, you know, who else is where else did you see Sammy Guevara versus Joey Janela? they put together a Young Bucks versus South Pacific Power Trip and I know it didn't work out because TK Cooper got injured but that was a first time match. So, you know, there's still, you know, a lot of novelty in play on these shows and when you have wrestlers that are this good, it almost doesn't matter. But there's pecking orders with these indies. It's, it's, There's local promotions in California. If you want to see these local guys so bad, I don't know, support those promotions then. I think this is one of those things where it's people think that they want something, but they probably really don't. You know, it's – a popular thing to bash the super indies because they're all the same and it's just but here's the thing the hottest promotion in Texas is Wrestle Circus they sell out every single show and they're a super indie the hottest promotion in Chicago is AAW they've outgrown two different venues and they've done it by switching to the super indie model Promotions like Defy in Washington and Limitless in Maine have broken through by slowly converting to the super indie model. That's what sells tickets. Not the local guys. So I can't, and there's room for everything. There's room for everything. I mean, I look at the local scene in Austin, and, you know, Wrestle Circus is drawing, you know, three times the numbers of Inspire Pro Wrestling or ACW, but Inspire Pro Wrestling and ACW have loyal fan bases that come to every single... ACW fills the Mohawk Bar, and they have done so for the last half decade. Every time out. People literally hanging from rafters, because there are rafters in this, but there's literally fans up and down the staircase and hanging from the the overhang. I mean, you know, there's a place for everything. Inspire runs great shows. You know, and 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 they use plenty of local talent. That's where you, and that local talent you know eventually outgrow perfect example, Sammy Guevara. The first place he got a serious push, Inspire Pro Wrestling. Made his name got the attention of wrestle circus, got the attention of WWN, got the attention of PWG and off you go. So I'm not bashing local scenes. There's a place for that, an important place for that. With that said, it's not PWG's job to book Jacob Fatu. It's not their obligation. It's not Wrestle Circus's obligation. To book Sammy Guevara before he has a name. Because their place in the pecking order is to book established names. Once they've broken through to some extent. Their job is to book ticket sellers. People who are going to move tickets and generate income. So I will never criticize the super indies for ignoring the local scenes. There are local scenes that are cultivating these stars. It's not the super indies. It's not anybody's obligation to book anyone. I don't buy that at all, and I've never bought into that. The promoter's only obligation is to book the best show possible to maximize profits. That's the, that's the, booker's only, it's the promoter's only job. It's not – no promotion is obligated to book women or intergender or local talent or, or whatever. Tag team ma- – You book whatever is going to maximize your profits. Hey, if I was promoting wrestling, I wouldn't book any stars. My philosophy would be the cheapest talent possible and make stars out of them and then rinse-repeat. To maximize profits but I don't think any of these super Indies have an obligation I don't think the has an obligation to book whoever you know the hot act is in Seattle Washington I the hot you know the hot local guy I don't believe that I don't I don't buy that at all if ricochet is gonna sell more tickets, So, you know, Jacob Fatu will get – I tell you, he's going to work – I guarantee he works Ebola. I guarantee it. It's just not his time. That's okay. You know, it took a lot of crit- criticism for not booking Timothy Thatcher and Jeff Cobb until Jeff Cobb, you know, broke through with Lucha Underground and Timothy Thatcher broke through with Evolve. But that's the key here. PWG is not going to book you until you break through to some extent because that's their model and i think it's okay to have promotions that run that model just like it's okay to have promotions that run you know the local talent model or you know we need everything that's that's the ecosystem of the indies but i think sometimes we argue with each other and we're arguing two different things if you don't care about the business side of wrestling then i understand why maybe you know you'd like to see these shows have a little more heart. I, that that you know, that that's fine. But you know, this show and our website, we like to attack both angles. You know, we look at it from both perspectives. And you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to side with booking decisions and promotional decisions that are best for business. I mean, you know, that that's that's how I'm going to break things down. And I think to, to argue against PWG strategy from a business perspective is futile. And I don't even necessarily know that anybody's doing that. But I think sometimes those are the arguments we get bogged down in where we're arguing different things. You really can't argue against what AAW has done in Chicago, or what PWG is doing in California, or um, you know what some of these other promotions are doing around the country, running the super indie model. I think there's a place for that, and there's a place for the local promotions that are cultivating the, the local talent. I do think it's important that there's places for those guys to work, and I I don't I don't think that's um, you know I. You don't see everybody running the super indie model. I mean, you know, I, I talked about Austin, Texas. Look at Chicago. You you still have your freelances and your other places that, um, you know, have no interest in running AAW's model. It's, you know, there, there, there's room for everyone if the markets are big enough. There really is. And they're all important. So that's BOLA. That's, uh, you know... My mini breakdown of shows that I'll probably never watch. You know, I used to make an effort, but like I said, they're exhausting. And they're so old at that point and spoiled and everything else that I just, I I can't get into it. I usually get like halfway through day two and then I throw the towel. You know, I was like, I can't, I can't do it. I've lost interest. All of these matches are awesome. I'm tired. But they're all awesome in the same way. That's the other thing. It's exhausting. That's it. I'm out of topics. I guess Rich isn't going to join us. I guess this is where Rich does the plug I don't know. I guess go to the uh, Voices of Wrestling Forum. We've got the NOAA All-Time Top 50 going. That's going to run for six months through March. If you're a member of the forum, start posting about your favorite NOAA wrestlers. We've got threads for most of the uh, top NOAA talent already, but if you see somebody missing, make a thread. Let's talk about them. That's similar to our ROH project we did a few months ago, the ROH Top 50. The NOAA Top 50 is going to work the same way ballots will be due in March and we'll put a list together but of course the idea is that the discussions and the discovery and the rewatches that's the stuff that matters more so than the final list itself so hop in talk about your favorite Noah wrestlers argue with me about Yoshinobu Kanemaru who I will be the high vote on without question love that guy Check out the site. Like I said, we've got a preview of, new, Dis- of uh, new Japan Pro Wrestling Destruction in Fukushima up on the front page right now. We've got all the May Young Classic reviews from Kevin Wilson, who did the first round, and Sean Flynn, who did the later rounds. Arnold Furious reviewed the Progress New York City show. we got a new This Month in Pearl by Dylan Justin. OTT Rama results are up. Lee Malone covered that show. Garrett Kidney does Impact reviews every week. And Impact should survive if nothing else to give Garrett Kidney something to do. Those reviews are too good to go away. Barry Hess did a column, The Unavoidable Truth of Roman Reigns and John Cena. Andrew Sinclair wrote a piece about Eli Drake, Global Force Wrestling World Champion Eli Drake. Will he become a trivia question if the company folds? And ton of audio. Music of the Mat has a Samoa Joe episode, Wrestling Amakase History has a history of Chikara with uh, Michael Spears on Wrestling Omikase. People love this Wrestling Omikase. I've listened to a couple episodes. It's very good. It's a different topic every, every week. Hosted by John Carroll. Of course, I haven't been invited. Still waiting for my invitation. You know, waiting patiently by the mailbox. There's a new five-star match game. Ring of Honor edition: J.R. Goldberg versus Sean Sidor. J.R. Goldberg, an old school Ring of Honor fan, against Sean Sidor, who does all of our new—I'm Ju- uh, uh, sorry, our Ring of Honor reviews on the site. He's a new school Ring of Honor fan. Old school versus new school in the five-star match game. New Japan Procast has their preview of destruction in Fukushima. There's a new Lucha of the Hidden Temple on the site right now. With, you know, with neck and neck with music of the, mad, uh, of, the of the strongest produced show on, on, on our entire network is that Lucha of the Hidden Temple. Excellent show. What great production. A new Shake Them Ropes. Rob McCarran still suspended. Jeff Hawkins welcomed Chris Novembrino of Lucha of the Hidden Temple as his co-host this week. Big week for Chris Novembrino on the site. I guess that's about it. I got nothing left to plug. Guess uh, I'll talk to you Dorks next week. In a world of 1 million wrestling podcasts, there is a new shiny star with great interviews, analysis, music and, and me Matt Coon. on total engagement, go to any podcast platform you listen to today.